This episode is sponsored by the Principal Center. The Principal Center is a provider of professional development for high-performance instructional leadership. Go to the website principalcenter.com. On this website, you can find a lot of resources and services on leadership. And now, let's go to today's podcast. Welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Social Care Settings and Early Childhood Settings. My name is Johannes Miesger. I work as an assistant professor at the University of the Faroe Islands. I research specifically in the area of pedagogical leaderships in schools, early childhood settings and social care settings. Today we are going to listen to an interview that I have conducted with Chris Brown. Yeah, I'm here at uh, the Institute of Education at the University of London. And I'm sitting here with Dr. Chris Brown, who's a senior lecturer here. Hi. And uh, first of all, maybe Chris, can you tell us about uh, your professional background? What is your background? Okay, so for the last, uh, I've worked at the Institute for the last three or four years. And before that, I was actually a policymaker, so I was uh, working in educational policymaking. Mm. And really my kind of interest, my research interest, stemmed from that period where I was head of research um, for a government agency. I was kind of responsible for helping to formulate government policy through research. And yet I was interested to know how policy formulation was happening, the extent to which research would play in that process and why. Mm. And that kind of led me to doing a PhD and then to moving to academia so I could explore it in a lot more detail. Mm. And then uh, I would like to ask, what is currently your main research interest in, in the area of leadership? So at the moment, then, um, I kind of move from this idea of evidence-informed policymaking to evidence-informed practice, how teachers um, begin to use research to inform what they do. And clearly, a, a natural extension from that is what are the conditions through which teachers are able or facilitated to use research. And a clear part of that is, is leadership, how, le- how school leaders take their schools, how they change in the schools, how they introduce new, kind of new cultural shifts in their schools. Hmm. And therefore, in relation to research use, what is it that, that leaders can do to facilitate research use amongst their schools, to make sure their schools become research engaged? Hmm. Um, and so really, it's, it's that kind of role of, of, of kind of formal change, but also informal leadership as well, building on um, kind of notions of what Jim Spillane calls distributed leadership, but also uh, this kind of informal leadership as influence. Um, mm. So kind of all different aspects of leadership in mm. that sense. Well, when would you say that this trend with using research to kind of base your practice on, when has it started in England? Well, I mean, there's, there's been a long history in terms of what's called action research, so kind of teachers... Um, uh, engaging in their own research projects within their own classrooms. Yeah. Uh, and that's had quite a, quite a long history from the kind of 1980s onwards, really. 
But more recently, there's been a shift uh, because government policy shift and, and, uh, has shifted. And, and government policy has kind of shifted from having top-down mandates to say, you know, these are the strategies you must employ, these are the ways we want you to do things. So actually saying, okay, well, as teachers, we want you to identify uh, best practice. We want you to uh, be able to share that best practice with others. And, and how are you going to start doing that? And, it, it, and from that, it was really kind of seen that there needs to be a better linkage between what academics do and the research that academics provide and how school teachers engage with that and how they use that. Mm. Mm. Okay. Then I have asked you to to pick one book or one research project for us to kind of dig into. And yeah. you have chosen a book. Yeah, well, actually it's a paper. It's a uh, paper. Yeah, it's a paper by, uh, myself, written by myself, uh, my colleague Alan Daly, who works at the University of California, San Diego, and uh, Iwa Lu, who also uh, was working at the University of, of California, San Diego at the time. And the, uh, the title of the paper is Improving Trust, Improving Schools, Findings from a Social Network Analysis. And... This is based on a on a project uh, that kind of built that that itself is grounded in this notion of of, of schools now having to seek out and find uh, their best practice. And what happened was in 2014. In England, we have the Education Endowment Foundation, which is an organisation uh, that uh, that essentially promotes research use in order to help kind of close the gap in children's outcomes, making sure that you know education has more equitable outcomes for for children. And they do a lot of work in evidence use and they have something called the EF toolkit and that kind of says what, what seems to be effective in education, so you know, feedback and metacognition all this kind of stuff, they, they bring together the systematic reviews and the randomised control trials that exist and they, they have uh, this kind of platform that you can look at if you're trying to improve um, outcomes in your school but whilst they've got this platform what they, they kind of realise is they there weren't as many teachers using it as they'd quite like and they, they weren't quite sure why people weren't engaging with the toolkit as much as they could. And so they put out a call in 2014 for um, projects that would encourage teachers take up of, of, of research use and, and use that research in more effective ways. And really the, the paper, and uh, which is touching on the projects, kind of looks at the, uh, the factors that we thought uh, in the Institute would, would help this process of research take up. Hmm. Um, so I've got a team of six people working on this on this project. But the, the kind of underpinning um, kind of factors that, that make this project work are that you need, a, you need to have in place learning communities, you need to have in place cycles of inquiry, um, that we're conceiving of, of research uses developing through uh, teachers becoming expert research users. And what I mean by that is that we, we've been drawing on the work of uh, Bent Flibberg, who's a Danish um, sociologist, who kind of says, well, you know, expertise happens in five levels. You start off as a novice, and as a novice you kind of follow facts and instruction, uh, and you can do this in a very context-independent way. And as you develop expertise, which is basically you learn through trying things out and trying things out in different situations and understanding what appears to be effective and why. You start to understand when you need to use the instructions, when you don't, how you respond to different situations. And then as you become an expert, uh, you kind of have this intuitive, holistic understanding 
of, of, of given situations and how to respond to them. And the examples I like to use in that are um, you know, in terms of crossing the road, for example. I mean, in England, we have a uh, what's called the Green Cross Code. And the Green Cross Code is a, is a stick-stage guide to crossing your road. But by the time you're an adult, I mean, that's fine for teaching children. By the time you're an adult, you don't use six steps to cross the road. You kind of, you, you're able to judge quite quickly whether you, whether you can run across the road, whether you need to wait, whether you should move down the road, and so on. Hmm. And what I wanted to do with research use is to make sure that teachers were um, these expert research users. They weren't um, basically kind of following instructions. What's the best way to do feedback? What's the best way to do metacognition? But they're able to respond in their classroom based on their understanding of the situation, based on their understanding of what research says is effective practice, and to do that. And one of the one of the ways that that's facilitated is through learning conversations. Um, and so, learning conversations make sure that you make explicit the tacit knowledge that's in your brain. Uh, that you then start to combine that with um, with the external research at the end of practice, and then you begin to internalise that tacit knowledge again, making it kind of part of your your day to day day living. So that that was a couple of the things. The other thing that's really important is that actually change happens through two different ways. And this the idea idea we had was that if you want something to be different, you need formal leadership, formal leadership being able to operate in a kind of transform, transformative way or a learning-centered way in that you have leaders who can set the vision, you can that get people on board towards a given direction, um, that can make sure the resources in place and the structures are in place, but also that they're modeling, that they're making sure that things are right so that teachers are able to interact, to learn from each other, to engage with each other and so on. Um, so that was very important for us. And then also this idea of informal leadership that within a school you have uh, you have influence but not the influence and people who are influencers doesn't always come from a top down way that actually you've got influence that flows um, kind of horizontally uh, and how do you access those people and bring them on board so you have champions who aren't formal leaders but they're leaders you know of the staff room let's say um, so we brought all these things together into um into a, 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 a project which is working with 100 primary schools across England, uh, and we go through these. These um, it's a two-year project, and each year we go through a four-stage cycle where we uh, we look at the research, we understand how you might use that to develop an intervention, how you might then start to roll that out in the school, inviting what, what are the roles that these formal leaders and these champions have got to play in this process, and then looking at the impact, um, and. Really, what this, what the paper does, building on that project, um, is, is is draws on our social network analysis because to, to understand who the opinion formers are, you have to look at the kind of flows of information within the school. You have to look at flows of trust, the flows of support, um, advice seeking, and so on. And and so we we collected a lot of data. I think we had about eight hundred teachers mm. uh, that we collected data on. And what we wanted to do was to actually say, okay, well, uh, within the school. Not only do you want to look at the relationships and therefore who the informal leaders are, but we also want to look at the things that are in the gift of formal leaders. So, you know, is there a trusting culture in the school? Is there a culture of organisational learning in the school? Um, is there is there a, 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 are teachers able to get together and, and talk to each other? So, so I'm looking at all these kind of contextual variables that are in the gift of, of formal leaders, um, and then we wanted to look at basically. If we are thinking about improving research use in a school, mm. what are the factors that matter much? Uh, most, sorry, is it is it the things uh, that that teachers 
do when they're engaging with each other? Is it the environment in which they're situated? Is it the is it the kind of the ability they have to um, to kind of operate in learning environments and so on? And and really, that's what we were doing with this paper, analysing this data and saying, okay, well, there's what do leaders need to be cognizant of in order to make evidence use happen in their school? So you go out on the primary schools? Yes. And then you help the teachers to find research? Absol well, absolutely. So what in the first year, uh, what we did was we did literature reviews for the teachers. So we understood, given these primary schools, we grouped them together. We've got groups of uh, kind of four or five schools operating as learning communities. They're kind of networked learning communities. Okay. And they're themed by groups. So some might be interested in growth mindset. Some might be interested in, in kind of feedback or English as additional language. And so for each one of those groups, we've done a literature review. Uh, about broadly, you know, it, it's kind of systematic in nature. It's not a full systematic review, but it's kind of broadly. These are the these are the main pieces of literature in this area, and then we work with them to understand what this literature means, understand what they know about given topics. So, if it's terms of growth mindsets, what do they know about what effective growth mindsets are, and to put those two things together to build a kind of context specific intervention for their school that's kind of very rigorous in terms of okay these are the these are the principles these are the theories of action for why this, this intervention is going to work and then importantly they also need to go back and they need to collect baseline data in terms of where they're currently at and then they start to test that intervention and they refine that intervention so they might do a lesson study project um, a couple of the teachers just to see how it's working and to keep mm. refining it and then we engage with them with change management literature so we say actually okay if you're going to roll this out across your school okay what do you need to know you know what does Cotter say what does Fullen say um, what do Hall and Hoard say mm. and how are you going to develop a kind of theory of change an action plan that's going to make sure this deliver and how is the senior leader going to uh, deliver on this and how is the informal leader going to deliver mm. on this and then the fourth workshop they say okay well how, how well have we done did it deliver the change we wanted to deliver no. has it had the impact we wanted if not why not and do we need to go around and try it again in a different way do we need to stop it and try something new mm. at the same time in year two of the project we're trying to capacity build because there's no year three in terms of funding you know that the funding runs out so the project stops okay. and we want to make sure that the teachers the leaders in the room the opinion leaders in the room uh, are able to carry on when we're not there and keep the project going so we try and get them to source the literature themselves mm. uh, we try and get them to kind of facilitate the learning communities themselves mm. and, and the important I mean, the important thing is, in that room, in those four workshops, in that room, you've got, you know, as I say, four or five schools. Each one brings a senior leader. Each one brings an opinion former. Okay. Um, and they're kind of, we, look, we, we work with them in the school and say, okay, what do you think your role should be? If you're going to make this change happen, if you're going to deliver this intervention, what do you think your role should be? And how also are you going to facilitate this other person to do their role? How is this person going to share the information, make sure it's flowing out properly? So, so from each school you have the senior leader and you have the one yeah. opinion. Yeah, an opinion form that we identify through social network analysis. Ah, okay. And, and broadly, our approach, you know, the social network analysis asked a number of questions, but pertinent for this project was who do you uh, turn to for advice and support? So we mm. found the people that were central in each school that people were turning to for advice and support. Oh, yeah. And where that wasn't the senior leader, yeah. we kind of determined that that was someone who was an opinion former yeah. um, in, in in, in that sense. Hmm. So. And, and was it often that it was a senior leader or a 
junior leader in the school or uh, yeah I mean it was quite well it was quite interesting sometimes head of the year or yeah sometimes these person was subject leaders okay. uh, often sometimes they were the special needs coordinator but it was it was very common that these people weren't in a formal leadership role very often that they weren't they weren't yeah okay um, and more often um, actually we, I started to work with secondary schools in a similar way and it's even more frequent there that these people aren't in that kind of you know that, that central role which is yeah, yeah. quite interesting so it just means there's a kind of untapped potential to make change happen within a school that perhaps not all schools are, are capitalising on at the moment and, and, and did it come as a surprise to these people that they were kind of pointed out as the opinion leader? Well, I mean, I didn't ask the opinion formers directly. I haven't asked But asking the school leaders, when I sent them back saying, you know, this is the personal, these are the one or two people that we think work well, yeah. often that leader said, yeah, that makes sense to me. I can see okay. why that's, that's the case. Yeah. Um, and that does actually open up the possibility that maybe, um, in addition to social network analysis, there might be another another way of identifying those people. It may be that you could you could do it in a uh, in a slightly different way. You know, asking who you could ask people who's the most popular person in school, or who's the who's the who's the person people tend to. And maybe you don't have to do it in such a rigorous social network way. You might have a show of hands, and that might actually get you the person you, hmm. you need to know. Um, so yeah, so it, was, it didn't tend to be. Head teacher going. I would have never have guessed that. Um, and it was. And there was only one instance where the head teacher kind of said, "Yes, that person might be central, but we don't think it's for the right reasons, and actually, it's you know oh. a bit of a troublemaker, so we don't want that person involved." Oh. I mean, that only happened once in a hundred schools. So. Oh. Oh. And, and, and this project is ongoing, so it's in the third year now. Uh, second year. So second end, year. Yeah. So it will finish in June. Okay. Um, so it's got uh, what's that, about four months left, three months left, um, and what happening at the moment is it's it's being independently evaluated by another university okay because they're interested to know and the funder the education endowment foundation are interested to know does this make a difference to children's outcomes the you know for us the interest is does this make teachers evidence informed but on top of that does that have a beneficial effect for for children hmm. um, which i think you know is exciting if the answer is yes it does that's that's really exciting news yeah. i think um because it means it means you know if you become evidence informed actually that's a powerful thing to be something hmm. you should be aiming for and, and and what were the findings from these so the, i mean what was interesting was that of all the variables we looked at and we looked at trust within the school organizational learning within the school so that's whether teachers come together in learning communities whether there's they're able to share information whether they'll be able to challenge uh, kind of assumptions of initiatives and so on and so forth we looked at the interactions uh, between teachers and how often people interacted and the quality of those interactions um, and we looked at other kind of you know variables kind of age of experience age of service sorry length of service age gender that's all but it was trust that actually mattered most in terms of whether schools were going to become research informed or not okay. what, in, within the school trust was, was three times more powerful than any other factor hmm. at making sure um, you know teachers were going to use research and I think that's that's powerful because actually what it says is that if you want to do anything in a school people have got to feel that they can innovate that they can risk take yeah. that they can um, go to other people and expose perhaps their weaknesses or ask for help mm. um, and 
actually, what does that mean for leadership? Well, actually, to, to make change happen, it's got to be grounded. Everything's got to be grounded in this kind of basis of having a, a, a mm. trust within a school. So, thinking about you know maybe the high stakes accountability that um, many schools in England find themselves in at the moment. You know, how does how does a head teacher kind of protect its staff from that? You know, rather than kind of let that seep in and it become a very stressful and uncollegiate uh, kind of environment. Second, then, was actually having those organisational trust learning um, factors in place. So once people trust each other, then it's important to make sure that they do have opportunities to, to form learning communities, that they do have opportunities to share um, and to and to engage in things such as lesson study or learning walks and so on. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, that, I guess that was a kind of almost almost a kind of synergistic relationship with trust. That that would only happen once trust was in place. Yeah. And then. The more, the more research-informed schools tend to be those where there were frequent relationships between people and those relationships were kind of based on high-quality information share. Um, and they, these schools have very kind of dense, what we call dense relationships. So um, people were talking to, to each other, people were talking to lots of other people in the school, they were talking to each other quite frequently. They were um, they were engaging in kind of high quality learning conversations. Yeah. Um, so it's, it was kind of that order, you know, trust first, having uh, structures in place to support research use, and then having meaningful conversations. And I, and I think, in, as I said, I think in every case, I think the implication is there for uh, for school leaders. You know, how do they foster this? How do they make this happen? Uh, how can they use their kind of instructional learning center leadership skills to do that? How can they uh, align people to this this kind of vision that they want, but make people you know truly go along? With? Yeah. And and when you so you grouped these primary schools, mm. maybe four or five together. Yes. And and how did they choose kind of the team? Was it you as researchers who helped them identify? Yeah. I mean, so we we had an initial focus group with some school leaders, uh, where we said, you know, what are the topics that matter to you at the moment oh, okay. uh, when you're trying to improve? You know, where where would you like to focus on? Yeah. And we ended up with a list of 14 topics. Huh. And then what we did was when we had our, our schools, we said we want you to rank which of these are most important. Huh. Uh, you know, one, two, and three. Yeah. And I mean, actually, there was quite a lot. Of kind of coherence and synergy but sometimes there was negotiation where we said okay well uh, you know would you would you all kind of settle for this topic um, and try to align people I think if I was going to do the project again I think maybe one thing I would change uh, is that maybe asking leaders what they want to focus on I mean that's going to get buy into the project but it might not necessarily get the things that really matter that really matter to the school. Hmm. They might these might be the topics that actually you know Ofsted the accountability body are kind of promoting at the moment, or yeah. that they've heard other people are, are, are talking about. Whereas maybe a kind of in-depth analysis of the school data might have actually revealed something else, and actually you know that, that it may be that their their kids are struggling with maths or you know that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering whether. If I, if I was going to have my time again on this project, whether if I could look at the school data, I might have come up with, with different topics mm. for them to, them to look at. Yeah. But, you know, clearly getting buy-in is key, so you kind of yeah, have yeah. to... Uh, and, and these uh, topics, was it mostly kind of, how do you say it, uh, substantial kind of subject topics, or was it more pedagogical-minded subjects? It was, well... 
I, I, it was uh, mostly pedagogy, I think. I mean, it, I guess it depends how you define it, but it was, it, you know, how do we, what can we do to change the growth mindsets of children in our school? Hmm. How is it we can change the way we give feedback or do marking and moderation to improve, to improve grades? I think one group was interested in English as an additional language, so I guess that's a, that's a kind of top, uh, content, top content subject. But mostly it, 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 it was how do we change our teaching? How do we improve our teaching repertoire? Mm. Um, to be more effective. So again, that, it's a kind of real instructional leadership aspect to it because it's, uh, you know, how do we improve our ongoing teaching uh, actions and behaviours? Yeah. When you talk about learning communities, mm. is it the American PLCs? Yeah, I mean, these uh, broadly, the, our approaches are modelled on um, professional learning communities, and I've been privileged to have uh, Louise Stoll um, work on this project with me and advise on this project. And she, she's done some great work on professional learning communities oh, and okay. kind of a, a review into that area. Yeah. Um, but broadly, yeah, we're talking about um, situations in which people come together to focus, to learn, to engage with each other. But in kind of in ways that go beyond kind of superficial exchanges of information, that they're collegiate, that they're collaborative, that yeah. they're you know sharing and so on. Yeah, yeah. Did it surprise you that trust was was so? Uh, it, uh, in, a, in a sense, it, it probably did and it shouldn't have done. I mean, once you kind of uh, realize, it makes a lot of sense and it intuitively makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Um, but to my mind, I thought what was going to increase research use was actually people being able, having uh, access, uh, having capacity, having... Um, you know, formalized systems in place within their school that they could meet up with colleagues. Now that you know that is important, and the research shows that is important. But I guess trust is the the kind of oil, uh, oil in the machine uh, oh. that helps that that process work. Wow. Um, and you know, I mean, it's it. Now that I've realised that's that's the kind of that's what came out of the research. Of course, it makes much you know it makes intuitive sense. But I was kind of, I guess, more mechanistic in my thinking. Mm. I was expecting it to be processes and systems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think that uh, research in education is accessible for? kind of ordinary teachers I think yeah I think that's a really good point I mean that's always been a very kind of a traditional complaint uh, or maybe not complaint but a, a kind of barrier to mm. research is that it's you know academic research isn't written in the right language it's not um, physically accessible unless you've got access to databases and so on but increasingly um, you you know you have got these organizations like the Education Endowment Foundation that are putting publicly available systematic reviews out there and mm. I think there was a lot of systematic reviews at the epicenter at the at, um, UCL Institute of Education also has also makes these things available but I think what matters now is how it's used excuse me <coughs> how how research can be used in a meaningful way mm. because I think there's often a lot of superficial use where what happens is that it, that research is used to kind of um, justify what people wanted to do anyway yeah. uh, to do what a lot of kind of cats and dat call um, accommodation rather than assimilation you, know, you get people you get things uh, you, you fit things into your existing way of thinking as opposed to kind of changing your existing way of thinking and that's why I think this approach is really powerful because it helps teachers learn it help, it goes through a process with them of challenging them of um, interrupting their their thinking of you know 
not letting them get away with kind of saying, well, we just want to do this anyway. It's okay. Mm. Well, let's, you know, let's learn, let's try, let's expand our knowledge. Mm. And, and, and is the purpose or the meaning for you to have kind of these informal leaders and the senior leaders, the uh, ship uh, team, to do kind of the reading of the research and then have them to? Yeah, or, or is it uh, the meaning that all teachers should actually? Well, I think yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, I think uh, kind of stage two um, might be that kind of brokerage stage, as you say, where they are they're taking on the kind of sourcing and the presenting of the research. But I think a really a truly research engaged school is one where everybody's in, engaging with it in a meaningful way. Okay. Um, but I think again, you know. The, it kind of has to be modelled, and expectations have to be set first. So maybe that's for that's for their their Second roles. Yeah, and then, and then you only move to that kind of full research engagement. Yeah. Because you know, it, teachers might be able to read in um, in their own time, or but if they're facilitated to do it and to share it, you're going to get more powerful hmm. learning from it. Okay. Um. Given your research and, and your theoretical knowledge and your teaching expertise, which top three advices would you give to head teachers? In, t in terms of wanting to become research engaged or in terms of becoming head teachers? Or? Yeah, research engaged. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think basically it's it, number one, it's got to be something that head teachers are committed to. They've got to have a real. Uh, long-standing commitment to becoming research engaged and also to understand that it's not going to happen overnight so the, um, you've got to understand that in a, in a kind of system of high stakes accountability sometimes even though it's not attractive you need a long-term focus you can't just keep responding to, to what offset is saying um, and this, you know, this will make a difference. Colleagues like John Supervich, David Godfrey, uh, Graham Hanscom, uh, kind of uh, Philip Accordion have shown that it can make a difference to children's outcomes. But you've got to be patient, and you've got to let it foster, uh, and you've got to foster it and let it bloom and flourish. Hmm. And part of that is is perhaps having someone uh, with a dedicated uh, responsibility to do it. Part of it is freeing up teacher time. Part of it is giving that kind of space and systems for, for, for teachers to be able to do it. I think, I mean, that actually, you know, we, we've kind of said three things, but that, that for me, having talk, spoken to head teachers, having engaged with head teachers, that's kind of by far and away, okay. you know, number that's one. Important. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've said trust, so that's, that's naturally a given. Um, but I think, I think the, 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 the third thing then is, is kind of don't give up, because I think I do see a lot of schools, if it's not a quick win, they give up, and you, mm. you, you can't give up. You've got to keep going with it. And to reach out to other schools. I mean, there are, um, you know, other schools are doing this. Other schools can learn. Be collegiate, be collaborative, and so on. Mm. Okay. Do you think that this research that you're carrying out can be used also in early childhood settings and social work settings? So I've done a similar, not exactly the same project with early years settings, oh. where in England certainly the, um, the skill base of early years practitioners uh, is, is probably lower on the whole than it is of teachers. You don't get so many school-educated early years practitioners. Yeah. And... Um, you know, there's, there's two. I get two ways to, to increase capacity there. I guess one is to make sure everybody's got a degree, but that will take a lot of money and take you know kind of three years minimum to upskill people. Um, the other way uh, is, is 
possibly to engage in in more research use. So you're injecting theory, you're injecting effective practice without the kind of need necessarily to go to university. And uh, myself and, and um, Professor Sue Rogers uh, worked on a project with um, a number of settings in Camden, uh, 18, I think, earlier settings in Camden, uh, where we engage in what, what, what we're calling kind of research-informed lesson study, where we would talk to them about the research, and we would say this is, this is kind of what different theorists are talking about. This is what Piaget says. This is what we know about you know, effective pedagogic documentation in the early years and so on. Um, and then they, the, the practitioners in the early years, uh, settings would work in trios, engage in lesson study, try and uh, try out some of these approaches whilst being observed. They'd have feedback. They'd try and improve it. They'd do it again. And actually, our, our findings were that, that they found that really useful. They found engaging with research uh, in that way really useful, that it helped improve their practice and so yeah, on. Yeah. So absolutely, yeah, I think this, this, this approach is kind of salience across the piece. At the very end, is there a place on the internet where, where people can find information about you and your research? Sure. I mean, in, in um, all our papers are now becoming open access, so anybody can read any of these papers. Uh, so if you go on the UCL website and uh, kind of Google Chris Brown, all my papers should be kind of there okay. for you to, to yeah. have a look at. Thank you very much. No, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.